thing wife has, uh, well, she has the, the job and the obligation to do that. So she's going to be bringing the word. So no pressure, hon. Would you come up? Would you guys welcome her? Hey, how many have been enjoying fasting? Yeah, you're a liar. You guys are all liars. Praise God. Um, well, let's open with uh, prayer, and then we'll uh, pass the mic on to her, and we'll get this service back going the right direction. Amen? Well, Father, we, we, we lift our own hearts and ears before you. And God, we ask, Lord, that you would, by the Holy Spirit, open our ears and open our hearts to receive the word of God this morning um, through this vessel, God. We ask, Lord, that you would rest upon her um, as she brings us uh, your unfailing, never-changing uh, word, God. And we ask that that word would change us and transform us into the image of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So for those of you that may not uh, be aware, we are in the midst of 40 days of prayer and fasting. And so um, I'm actually going to talk to us this morning about fasting. I know that doesn't sound like a very exciting topic to, for you to hear about today, but I can guarantee that the topic of fasting is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. Um, so my hope is today that as we look at the topic of fasting in the Word of God, um, that our hearts would come alive in understanding the gift that he's given us in this. So first of all, we're in the midst of 40 days of prayer and fasting. I do want to say, I, I understand that in this room today, there's people that may be acquainted with fasting, people that may practice the discipline of fasting, and it's something that they're familiar with. I also understand that there's also other people in the room that have never fasted before, and immediately your mind went to, can't you die? Like, <laughs> like won't I die? And so... First of all, there's a scriptural and a spiritual precedence to fasting, but I just want to encourage you that even in the medical community, they have studied and understand the health benefits of fasting. So even if at your mind right now is largely offended and can't get over the thought of going without food, I just want to encourage you that they actually say a three-day fast will like completely reset your immune system. Don't understand it. I don't get all the science behind it. I'm not a science mind. But you should study fasting even just from a scientific health perspective. And I'm just going to say this. God is brilliant, right? The fact that he even gives us a, a spiritual tool that actually has health benefits in our body. He's just brilliant. That's not why we fast, but I just want to encourage you. I also want to say if you have medical challenges or complications, no one is advocating for you to go without water or to do harm to your body or to exaggerate health issues in your body. Um, I'm going to start on the forefront of saying there are many different kinds of fasts we can do. So if you're here this morning and you're a diabetic or you have other um, kind of blood sugar issues, that does not mean that you cannot fast or participate in some form of fasting. Um, I also want to qualify these statements by saying, for anybody here that is a mom, I will say this, when you are pregnant and nursing, it's like impossible to fast in any kind of way other than just abstaining from sweets, basically. Your body. I'll just say this. As a single woman, I was able to fast with great ease, regularly, without a lot of preparation, and there was grace to do it. 
once I became pregnant and nursing, my body changed a lot. <laughs> I'll just say that. And I more had to take on the form of fasting, things like sweets and entertainment and things like that. But I just want to say this to you. If you're here this morning and you have young children, I also want to acknowledge that when you prepare three meals a day for small humans, it puts you in a very unique circumstance that it feels like you're not actually freeing up time because you're not eating. You're still preparing all the food for all the peoples. Um, and so I want, this is what I want to encourage you. If you have a vocation or if you're a mom and fasting like entirely is like kind of an impossibility or a great challenge or strain on your family, there is a beautiful thing you can do. You can fast all day long and then partake of your evening meal with your family. Um, so I, I say that to you to say there's grace, and this is about heart intention. Do you hear that? So as I don't want anybody to hear, because like Jesus went into the wilderness and fasted 40 days, um, you know, and Esther fast is three days without food or water. You know, you may have heard of different kinds of fasts, and I in no way want you to narrow the scope of fasting to a specific kind of fasting. I want us all to understand that there's grace and this is about a heart posture. Okay? Okay, good. Um, so this is what we're going to do, just so everybody kind of knows where we're going here. I'm going to do a very, very brief, um, concise overview just of fasting and the precedence that we see biblically. And then we're going to look specifically at Jesus' instructions in, in Matthew chapter 6, okay? So first of all, I just want to say we do not have time. And as I reference these, like for our translators and for overheads, I'm not expecting us to turn to all of these passages. I'm giving you point of reference so that you yourself can turn there and study it and look into it further and make sure I gave you the right verse. Um, but before we go to those passages of Scripture... I would encourage you all throughout the Bible, this is, fasting is not an anomaly. Fasting is not something that's kind of a, a sideline issue. It's all throughout the word of God. We find Ezra, we find Samuel, we find Elijah, we find Daniel. That's like the famous Daniel fast of fruits and vegetables only. Uh, we find John the Baptist, we find Esther, we find uh, the widow in Kings, we find Paul, the apostle Paul we find Jesus. <laughs> um, so it's also not relegated to an Old or a New Testament discipline. We find it all throughout the Word of God. And most of you are probably familiar in Joel chapter 2, specifically in ver at verse 12. It says, turn to me with all of your heart. This is the prophet Joel speaking to the people, and he's basically saying, you are in a crisis, and you need to return to the Lord. And so his instruction to the people is turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. So we find in the Old Testament that when they would come together as a nation or as a people to return to the Lord, they did this through the posture of fasting. So some of you might kind of be like, well, can't I just return to the Lord without abstaining with food? This is what I'm going to say to you. There are some things, 
when it comes to our spirituality that are mysterious, aren't they? Like we can't always give it a formula or an equation to understand the breakdown of it and how it's all connected. There's mysterious aspects to it. But this is what I will say to you in this, is that we do find this connection with as we abstain from food physically, that there's something of an increased appetite for God that grows inside of us. So I can't tell you at what hour, like if I'm on day three, oh, that's when it kicks in. Like all of a sudden I have an increase. There is something about our physical body. And hear me, I'm not talking about a diet. I'm talking about the posture of fasting for the purpose of saying, I am going without food that I like, food that I desire, food that is pleasure, because I desire to align my heart more fully with the heart of God. And there's a place where that tenderness, that desire, and that desperation, it moves something on the inside of us. You know, you can go through a lot of things biblically and see when Daniel fasted and prayed, you could actually see there's kind of this opening in the spirit realm where you see the releasing of angels and the restraining of demonic. And, you know, so there's both sides to fasting that you can see biblically, that there's something spiritual that is released. But what I'm talking to you about today is something changing on the inside of you. That it's, it's a tool that's been given to you that if you're here today and you know you are dull spiritually. If you're here today and you know you're disconnected from the heart of God. If you're here today and you know that there's cycles in your life of defeat and even places of apathy or even maybe places that you've given up. That God has given you this beautiful tool and he said, return to me with fasting. And what that means is it means saying, God, I'm going to seek you in an intensified way. So in this season, even our, even our little 10-year-old, we explained to our 10-year-old that for, for these 40 days, these are going to look a little bit different. That, and we asked him, we said, do you feel like you could go without sugar and sweets for 40 days? Do you feel like we could give one night a week that you can watch TV and the rest of the nights we are going to be reading and redirecting your heart and mind to encounter the Lord? Because that's ultimately what we find that fasting does. It postures our hearts with a greater awareness to encounter the Lord. See, the Lord is always wanting to encounter us. But oftentimes we are so distracted and so busy about our life and the normalcy and the mundaneness of our life that there's a place where it's almost like we become forgetful. We're not aware and we're not sensitized. And so fasting is a tool that he has given us so that we can become sensitized to him. The late Leonard Ravenhill has this quote, the only reason we don't have revival is that we are willing to live without it. And you might be asking, like, okay, what does that have to do with fasting? It has to do with most of us are perfectly willing and content to live without connection with God. We're we're willing and content. As long as life is going, usually when we return to the Lord, it's because there's been major crisis or devastation or hardship or something that's forced us into a desperate state. But can I tell you that even without those external pressures, 
we should be people that are keenly aware of our need for more of God and living in a posture of hungering and thirsting for more of him. And so when he says that the only reason we do not have revival is because we're content to live without it, I want to challenge you this morning that regardless of corporate revival on a city or a national level, you can come to a place that you refuse to be content inwardly. That you're not content inwardly to live without revival, but that you can cultivate a life of fellowship and communion with Christ. And fasting is a tool that you've been given. If you want to um, turn to Isaiah chapter 58, we're going to briefly look at verse 1 through 14. So this is where we find the prophet Isaiah. He is calling the people to fast, but this is what's interesting. He's basically saying this is what pleases and this is what displeases God in our fast. That you can abstain from food, and this is why I was saying this is about the inward posture of our heart that God is looking at. And so the prophet Isaiah in, I always love the glare of the lights in my eyes and all the things. Uh, Prophet Isaiah in verse 6 says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? And then in verse 8, it says, Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness shall be before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say to you, Here am I. If, this, did you hear the word if? <laughs> if. You take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light will dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones and you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. You know, oftentimes we want the results of this. We want the results of our righteousness shall go before us and the glory of the Lord will be our rear guard. We want to call upon the Lord and have him answer. We want him to have a, a, a loose the bonds of oppression in our life. But he actually says, these are the results if. And he says, put away the pointing of the finger. It's fruitless for us to abstain from food it's fruitless for us to abstain from media and certain things, all the while remaining critical and judgmental and negative towards others. Do you even realize that all of the language that Isaiah is using here, he's literally talking about how we relate to other people. He's talking about extending our soul for those that are in need. 
He's actually talking about giving of ourselves. And so oftentimes, and do you even realize he's saying that if you'll do this, then you will find that the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. See, we have it all wrong in our American culture and society. We think when we have a need, what we need to do is focus on ourselves, get things right for ourselves, protect ourselves, preserve ourselves, make sure we're getting all the time we need to bask in the sun and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in solitude without the inconvenience of community and all of those things. But instead, Isaiah is actually saying basically, check your heart. Why don't you start ridding yourself of judgment? Why don't you start ridding yourself of criticism? Why don't you stop only looking at your own needs and begin to look at the needs of other people and extend yourself for the giving of others? And he says that if you fast in that spirit, in that posture, then, then your righteousness will go forth as the noonday. Then the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then when you call upon me, I will answer. There's a place where there's a posture in our heart that is pleasing to him. And there's also a posture of our heart that is displeasing to him and that he resists. Matthew uh, chapter 4, 1 through 11. We don't need to turn there, but this is actually for your own study and that you can look it up. This is when Jesus fasted in the wilderness for 40 days. We actually were doing this with our son this week and kind of going through the three temptations that Jesus was tempted with and how he responded with, it is written. But we find that Jesus had power to overcome temptation in the midst of his 40-day fast. Then we find in Matthew 9.15, Mark 2.20, and Luke 5.15, this is when the disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of Jesus are kind of disputing of kind of like, well, why do the disciples of John the Baptist fast and why do the disciples of Jesus not fast? And kind of this whole um, discrepancy about fasting. And this is when Jesus says, the words of Jesus are, when the bridegroom is taken away, then the disciples will fast. That meaning once he has ascended to the Father, that will be the time of fasting because we long for his return. It's a lovesick fast of longing and a homesick fast because he is our home and we're longing to be with him in full fellowship. And then we find in Matthew 17, 21 um, and Mark 9, 29, uh, this is where the disciples basically tried to cast the demon out of the son of the man who was afflicted. And they could not. And it was Jesus who said, these kind only come out by prayer and by fasting. And so do you understand like fasting is something that we find consistently in the word of God. <clears throat> can find in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13, 2 through 3. Um, this was actually before the first missionary journey. And it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Okay, this is book of Acts. They already had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Not not only did they have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they had subsequent outpourings of the Holy Spirit. They were endued with power. The church is exponentially increasing and growing, and multitudes are being added daily. And yet, we find that they're in the posture of prayer and fasting. They had not become apathetic. They had not become self-satisfied but they were still living with an appetite for more of God. So as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And then they fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, and they sent them away. And then where we're going to kind of 
end things this morning or land things this morning is Matthew chapter 5, which if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5 with me. Most of us are familiar with Matthew chapter 5. We're familiar with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Most of us are very familiar kind of with that portion of scripture. But what we don't often look at is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, as some people would reference it, is the Sermon on the Mount. Basically, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is where Jesus is setting forth, this is what the kingdom of God is. He's setting out for us like the constitution of the kingdom or the manifesto of the kingdom. He's setting out for us and ultimately saying, this is how it is defined to be a disciple. So first of all, I want to encourage you, if you read and study nothing else throughout your 40 days, it, it would be wise for us to take time to sit and meditate and read chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And with that, I want to encourage you to truly meditate upon it, because if you look at it, what Jesus sets out is completely contrary to our humanistic way of living. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We have been set up in a society and a culture and even a church culture that despises the posture of hunger. That somehow we see hunger as a place of lack and a place of weakness and that somehow that that's not, if we have the indwelling Christ, then we shouldn't be people that are acquainted with need. But ultimately what Jesus says is, blessed are those that are hungry and thirsty for they shall be filled. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We despise poverty of every kind. We are trained to deny it, to cover it, to conceal it. Any amount of poverty or lack that we have in our lives, we are trained to be people that not only despise it, but vehemently protect it so that others cannot see our weakness. And instead, Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed is the place where you lack. Because there is where you can actually inherit my kingdom. Because there's humility and there's an awareness of your need. Do you recognize the more that we live in our self-sufficiency, the more that we live according to our own strength and capability and our own qualifications, the more we are disqualified and set out from inheriting the true kingdom of God. That it's in a kingdom that is entirely other than. And instead, we've reduced it to something that can be made by the hands of man and understood by the mind of man and reasoned with our own understanding. But instead, his kingdom is entirely other than. And that is what we find in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 here. Is if you skip ahead, Matthew chapter 5 is where Jesus kind of um, outlines for them 
the Beatitudes, which we just reviewed shortly, but then he also kind of goes um, through the fulfillment of the law, that he did not come to nullify the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And he actually gives them a word of warning. He says, whoever therefore breaks... I should never highlight my Bible because of the lighting. You can't, like, read the highlights here. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And if you jump down to verse 23, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. Do you guys see here once again, Jesus is just like we see in Isaiah, he's addressing the issue of our relationships with one another. He's basically saying, don't think that you can be in right relationship with me if you're not going to be in right relationship with others. He cares deeply about us being in right relationship. We see this theme. This, this is the culture of the kingdom that he's laying out. He's basically saying, do not come and, and offer sacrifices to me. Go and do this first. And then we can be in right relationship. But this is actually the language that we also see in Isaiah. There's consistency here. So first he's speaking about this issue of being reconciled with one another so that we can be reconciled with him. And then he kind of goes through addressing the the things of uh, lust and adultery and kind of how this was the standard and this is the law in the Old Testament, but it's actually the requirement is even greater in the New Testament. Jesus didn't come to nullify that law. He came to empower us actually to fulfill it, but even to a greater measure because it's no longer outward rules and restrictions. We are supposed to be living from an inward reality of fellowship and communion and union with Christ. So we find Jesus addressing this, and then if we uh, skip a little bit forward to chapter 6, this is kind of where I want to make sure we have enough time. There's, there's a few things that he addresses in chapter 6. And what Jesus addresses, first and foremost, is giving. He addresses giving of ourselves and giving of, of even our own lack. He addresses giving, he addresses prayer, and he addresses fasting. So in chapter 6, where we're going to spend a little bit of our time here, this is what I want us to understand Jesus is taking the posture of saying that as a disciple, these should be regular rhythms and disciplines that are a part of your life as a disciple. This is normal Christian living. So giving is not extraordinary. It's not for those that have the gift of generosity (laughs) and classified for them. Prayer is not just for the intercessor or for the old lady in the back room or somebody that just has an extraordinary grace like Anna. And fasting is not just for a specific group of people. He's saying this is normal Christianity. And even when he says it, if you find the language here, let's look at this. Um, In chapter 6, when he's first addressing this issue of, of giving... He says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed. He doesn't say if. He doesn't say if you decide to do a charitable deed. This is the way. He's assuming that as a disciple of Christ, you will be doing charitable deeds. 
So therefore, when you do a charitable deed, meaning when you are generous in giving because you're a disciple, so therefore that will be the fruit of your life, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets. And they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed... Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be, let's say, circle, underline, in secret. And your father, I want you to underline father. Do you guys know that just in this chapter alone, 10 times, Jesus refers to God as father. He refers to God as father, and in these three areas of giving, Prayer and fasting, he speaks about our relationship to the Father in secret. Jesus is getting to something here. He's getting to something, and he's getting to the very key of our lives. So he says, um, in secret will himself reward you openly, in verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. So he's saying when, not if you pray. Not if you become an intercessor, not if you join a praying community, but when you pray because you're a disciple of Christ. Uh, For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on their corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who is in the secret place will reward you openly. We're going to skip beyond the Our Father. We're actually going to end with that because then right after the, he gives them an instruction of this is how you are to pray. In verse 14, we're going to skip ahead to this, uh, this topic of fasting and find the same language. Um, Actually, let's skip down 14 because that's kind of the end of the Our Father and their instruction. Verse 16, moreover, when you fast. Here we go. Again, Jesus is not saying if you fast. It's a given as the disciples that we will fast as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so he's giving us instruction. When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with your sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Verse 17, but you, when you fast, (laughs) anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to, to your father, to your father who is in the secret place. Here again, we find this language of our father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. There's a couple of things that we just want to kind of hone in on, on the language that Jesus is giving here in in chapter 6. And first and foremost, it is the fact that he's addressing the hypocrites, the Pharisees. How many of you guys know, if you study the Gospels, Jesus reserved his greatest condemnations, not for the sinners, but for the Pharisees. I mean, that's, and let's, let's just all acknowledge the Pharisees fasted. So, I mean, they were practicing all of the disciplines that we're even talking about here today. 
His discrepancy, and this is where we find this language here, is he's, he's, he's not downing discipline here. He's in no way saying, the Pharisees fast, don't be like the Pharisees, they're so legalistic. He's saying, no, 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 you are to fast, but you're to do it in a completely different way. And what he's addressing is, you go into the secret place with your father. What he's saying is, when the Pharisees fast, they're not doing it for connection with the father. They're not doing it in a secret posture of living before God's eyes alone. They're living before the eyes of man. And so each and every one of us here today, whether you've been an avid faster or never fasted, regardless of where you are in the disciplines of your faith, we all are guilty of people of losing sight of connection with the Father and our faith and the practice of our faith becomes about what people say, what people judge, and how they assess us. But how about regardless of what any man sees of you today, there is a God in heaven who looks upon you. And all we should care about is not only being in right standing with him, but fighting for connection and a heart connection with him. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying it's all about that. So you can do your 40 days, you can post it all over social media, but if you aren't going in and getting on your face before God and saying, God, I want a connection with you. God, I want my heart right before you. God, move upon the hardness of my heart. God, come and move my cold heart and ignite me with the fire of your Holy Spirit. If our disciplines in the faith are not postured from that place of longing to be in fellowship and communion in right relationship, if it's not from the place of he is God the Father, he is not a taskmaster. You do not have to fast to please him. We fast because we are pleasing to him. So therefore, we desire to live in relationship and connection with him. The huge distinguishing factor of the obedience in our lives and the discipline of our lives comes down to we are not working to earn God's love. We are responding to God's love. And because of his great love, we long to live lives in complete abandonment. It's our joy. It's our desire. It's our delight to live in complete abandonment to him. So this is what we find in Matthew chapter 6 is that Jesus is addressing the normal life of the disciple and saying when you give, when you pray, when you fast... This is to be our heart posture. And part of the reason I want to talk about Matthew chapter 6 and Jesus' instruction to fast is because what you find Jesus is saying is you should be radically realigning yourself with God the Father. So to take away all of the mystery of fasting and why we fast and how we fast and all of those things, this is what I want to say to us, Hilltop community. Fasting is taking a violent approach in saying, I want to radically realign myself with God the Father. Any place that my heart is out of alignment with him. Any place that my judgments and my perceptions and my words and my attitudes and my emotions, any place that my priorities. How many of us this morning, I'm not asking for a show of hands, 
but our priorities are not in alignment with him. Our time is not spent with him as a priority. Our finances are not spent with him as a priority. And so I kind of want to demystify the outwardness of what fasting is and say that for us, for the 40 days, can we as a community look at, study, meditate upon Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and ask that question, Father, in this posture of 40 days, let my life be radically realigned with God the Father, that I would walk with him and that I would live in fellowship with him. And so let's do this. We're actually, um, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 9, and we're just going to kind of close out with the Our Father here. So many of us during the 40 days, some of you, so our family puts together like a list. We used to have a chalkboard. Um, now it's just on a piece of paper. But we kind of lay out what it is we're praying for. It helps you because when you sit down in the morning and you, with your 10-year-old, and, you, and he's kind of like, why are we doing this again? Why am I not eating sweets? Why am I not watching The Office? You know? <laughs> When you have your little list of saying, actually, remember when you said you wanted to pray for so-and-so that has cancer? Remember when we said as a family, well, we wanted to pray for an awakening in our family? All of a sudden, you go, oh, this is why we're doing this. <laughs> this is a good reminder. So I want to encourage you to write down throughout the 40 days, like, what it is you're going to be praying for. But I also understand that for some people, prayer can be a little bit of a mystery, like, and to, for some of us, even a little bit boring, because we get there and we don't know where to start, we don't know where to begin, we don't know, you know, how to, there's, I think the epidemic in our generation is we actually don't know how to quiet our thoughts. And so, therefore, we're in a continual race and kind of a hamster wheel of looking for something. I think even our little hands are addicted to touching something next. <laughs> I got to click something, I got to move something. <laughs> but I want to encourage you. Take your Bible, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Actually, you could open it up to Luke as well. You can find the Our Father. And I want to encourage you to begin to quiet your mind and quiet your heart and focus your heart and mind by reading even through and praying through the Our Father. And just like I just laid out for you as Jesus' instruction to us with giving, with prayer, and with fasting, Ten times he's referring to God the Father. There's an issue of relationship here. And what we should be focused on during these 40 days is the issue of our relationship with him aligning. But the beautiful thing is that when Jesus instructs us, he says, in this manner, therefore pray. This is verse 9 of chapter 6. Our Father in heaven. He starts by our Father who is in heaven. I just want to encourage you, begin to just even pause on certain statements and segments of Scripture. Our Father who is in heaven. Begin to ask God for a re revelation of him as Father. Of him who is a Father who is attentive to you. A Father that loves to hear your voice. That when you address him, he pays attention a father that longs for relationship and fellowship, just begin to pause and meditate, and then it goes on to, holy is your name. 
you could just spend the next two hours meditating on holy is your name. The beauty of his name, the perfection of his name. You know, uh, my son and I were praying the other night, and I said, what's your favorite thing about God? And he said, he's holy. And I said, what does that mean to you? And he said, it means he's perfect. Perfect. Perfect are you. Do you know that if we begin to take scripture and read and meditate upon it, that it will change the entirety even of our emotional makeup? It'll change the patterns and the responses of our life. It'll change our perspective and our priorities. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And here we go, Jesus, like we've just seen in all of the things that he's addressed and in Isaiah. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Those are the words of Jesus. And so I want to encourage us during these 40 days <clears throat> that not only do we take the posture of fasting physically, but just like Jesus instructed us, that there would be a place that we would even assess our interpersonal relationships of the, the fact of, is there people that we need to forgive? Are there people that we need to release judgments that we've held towards them? Are there places that we need to put away the pointing of the finger? We don't even realize how much we assign blame to other people for the position that we are in in life or our circumstances in life instead of trusting the sovereignty of God and taking our eyes off of people but putting our eyes upon God and worshiping him in all circumstances. And so I'm going to close us with a word of prayer for our community. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the, the gift of prayer and fasting that you've given us, God, as, as a tool, Lord, to draw near to you. God, I thank you, Father, for the mysterious way that it sensitizes our hearts and sensitizes our minds. God, I thank you, Father, for the way that it prepares a place for you. God, that we truly are taking the posture that we are hungry and we are thirsty for more of you and we cannot be satisfied without you. Father, I ask, Lord, that even as we read the quote by A.W. Tozer, that those of us, that, that, that revival ultimately is because of our willingness, the lack of revival in our generation is because of our willingness to live without it. God, I pray, Father, that we as a community inwardly, Lord, would not be content to live without revival. But, God, that even within our community, God, that there would be a greater hunger and a greater desire for awakening within us. Lord, for the stirring of your Holy Spirit within us. For the fire of your Holy Spirit within us. And, Lord, I ask, God, that even as we've looked at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Lord, that you declared that this is the culture of your kingdom. God, we ask, Lord, that any place in our lives, Lord, that they do not line up, Lord, with the culture of your kingdom. Lord, that they do not line up, Lord, with uh, the beauty of what you have declared true discipleship is. 
God, we pray, Father, over these 40 days, Lord, that our hearts would be realigned in relationship with you. Lord, that even as the prophet Joel declared, return to me with fasting. Lord, even as he went on to say, to rend your hearts and not your garments. Lord, I pray, Father, that we as a community would not be uh, focused upon the outward circumstances of our life and be blinded to the inward reality of our depravity and our need for more of you. But God, we ask, Lord, would you open up the eyes of our heart, Lord, to see, God, our need for more of you. God, would you awaken within us, God, a true hunger and thirsting for more of your presence. Lord, would you awaken within us, God, an appetite for more of God. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your grace upon this community. And God, we say, Lord, we long to draw near to you. Lord, open up our eyes that we might see you. Open up our ears that we might hear you. In Jesus' name, amen.